Welcome to our official Rutgers SECD Lab podcast, where we aim to guide school-based efforts on prevention, social-emotional learning, social decision-making, social problem-solving, violence prevention, and character development. My name is Malika Verghese, and I am a fourth-year psychology major at Rutgers University with a minor in human resources. I am a resident assistant on campus, as well as an undergraduate research lab assistant for SECD. I'm joined here today by my wonderful co-host, Rebecca Wu. Hey everyone, my name is Rebecca Wu. I am a first year master's in applied psychology student at Rutgers University and the administrative coordinator for the SECD lab. It is our pleasure to formally introduce Dr. Lauren Fulmer and Laura Bond. Dr. Fulmer has been working in the field of public education for over 10 years. She's taught students in grades one through five in a school in Northern New Jersey, and most recently is a fifth grade teacher. In addition, she has four years of experience in higher education, teaching courses at the Graduate School of Education at Rutgers University, the University of Dayton, and St. Elizabeth University. She is also an instructor for the Academy for SEL in Schools. Her research interests include social and emotional learning, as well as how to minimize the risk factors associated with divorce through the implementation of preventative programs for children. Laura is an educator for the Students Taking Action Together program in our SECD lab. She is the interim K-8 curriculum and professional development supervisor in Robbinsville Township Public Schools in New Jersey, former high school and middle school studies socials teacher, former K-6 elementary school board vice president, served as clerk of the Progressive Princeton Friends School and currently serves on the New Jersey ASCD Executive Board. She is also a teacher's advocate interested in amplifying restorative practices, equity and democracy in education with a passion for social emotional learning. Laura and Lauren collaborate on many STAT projects through the Rutgers SECD Lab as senior research associates and consulting field experts, including most recently a forthcoming book to be published by ASCD this spring. Before we get into conversation, I just want to officially welcome our guests to the podcast. Please tell us how you're doing today. I'm very excited to be here and to share more about STAT. Thanks so much for having us. Hi, this is Laura. I'm elated to be here. Uh, This seems like a dream come true for both Lauren and I. Uh, It's truly a pleasure and privilege to be here to talk with you this evening about democratic citizenship and social justice in education. Thank you so much for having us. Fantastic. I'd love for you to take this moment to talk about yourselves, your work in the lab, as well as your life outside of the lab. Sure. Laura and I started this work about three years ago when Dr. Elias approached us to develop some lessons using the STAT strategies uh, related to controversial issues of race, gender, and class. And that work led us to really analyze the strategies and try them out in our classrooms and share them with others um, through webinars and, and presentations. So over the years, Laura and I, we've really committed ourselves to this work and have supported other educators and school leaders um, with their implementation of the STAT strategies in their classrooms and schools, uh, especially with what's going on in the world and just how polarized the climate is. Uh, it's been really incredible to see so many educators empowering their students to take democratic action. Outside of the lab, you can find me chasing after one of my two sons, Reese, who is five months old, and Cade, who is two and a half. Um, And I really just enjoy spending time with them, along with my husband, Dave. 
uh, and we just love to do anything outside and, you know, especially this time of year. So thanks so much again for having me. So uh, this is Laura and, um, you know, it's interesting reflecting back on that question. Uh, Lauren and I joined this journey to support the integration of stat strategies to advance equity in education about three years ago. We joke a lot that we've only really met twice in person with the pandemic, um, but we're both really passionate about student voice and helping students lead the change they wish to see in their world. And we've collaborated with the lab to help bring the research alive into school communities and hope that our upcoming book published by ASCD this coming April will really accelerate the integration of those strategies nationwide. Uh, and outside of school, you can see me collaborating with my husband on social justice issues in education and in our community. Um, we have two teenagers, Jack and Katie, 17 and 15 respectively, who keep us real and on the edge of social justice learning. Real quick before I ask uh, my next question, I would like if you could emphasize on democratic action. I know uh, Lauren had mentioned that. So if you would like to elaborate on that a little bit, that would be appreciated. Sure, I, I'd, I'd love to jump in. Is that okay, Lauren? Absolutely. Yeah, I think Lauren and I both see that human beings are really natural problem solvers and that, you know, democratic action, the essence of it, it you know, is connected to our humanity. And I, I think that as the moment we stand in right now, there are, there are problems that we have kicked the can down the street. And um, we are sitting in a very unique moment as educators to help students engage the process of expressing themselves, expressing what they're witnessing, and expressing how to go about making change. Uh, and those all have to be supported through strategies. And the STAT strategies really deliver upon that hope and spirit. Um, especially we'll talk a little bit later about PLAM, which is a problem-solving strategy um, that is meant to be a social process collaboratively and collectively. Um, and it's what communities engage in when they come up against big challenges and questions um, in, their, in their democratic communities. Lauren, is there anything that I missed or you want to add to that? No, I think you captured it all. That sounds fantastic. Thank you so much for answering that. Um, so I guess my next question would be, what specific findings in your earlier career sparked your passion to begin SCL work in schools, and how long have you been conducting it? So the memory that I have is quite vivid. Um, I actually teach, uh, as I mentioned before, in a, or as you mentioned, Malika, um, in a school in northern New Jersey, and it's a pretty affluent area with um, high ac academic expectations for students. And so um, I was teaching second grade at the time, had a student in tears when he got back his uh, math test. And now, mind you, there was no letter grade or percentage attached to the score. Um, he just happened to get a few problems wrong. And so when I pulled him aside and acknowledged, I could see he was really upset and asked him, you know, why he was feeling that way. He shared that his parents were going to be upset because now he wouldn't make it into a good college. And I believe he mentioned specifically the Ivy League that, you know, he would want to get into or they wanted him to get into. Um, and I just remember really in that moment being taken aback because I thought to myself, how could a second grader just be so distressed about a score on his math test, let alone be worried that, you know, it would have some sort of implications about him getting into a college. Uh, and so that's when I really realized, you know, these students needed social emotional support to be able to put things into perspective and be able to, you know, effectively regulate their emotions and just engage in that moment for that child and some positive self-talk. 
So shortly after that, you know, um, I did, uh, you know, a school-wide initiative um, with a, uh, an SEL program, Mind Up, um, and it eventually, you know, um, really became a little bit more of a district-wide initiative as well. Um, and that led me to, to pursue my um, doctoral degree. And I focus on um, SEL, but specifically on pre- preventative programs for children of divorce. Uh, so that's really what sparked my interest. And um, I've been, you know, really passionate about SEL and social justice ever since. Yeah. And, you know, from my experience, and this is kind of a tender question for me, because um, this work really brings me full circle with Rutgers. Both of my parents attended Rutgers. I never went, but um a former student of mine when I was teaching in the West Windsor Plainsboro School District was responsible for videotaping his roommate in a private encounter at Rutgers University with another male student and then broadcasting that, um, I guess, within the building or campus. And it led to that student committing suicide off the George Washington Bridge. I'll never forget the moment I was standing in the workroom and I came across that news feed and I realized that that student who was responsible for taping the other student was my student. Um, I took this to heart and it really caused me to question my practices as teachers. I had the student as a junior. Um, This became international news and I really felt responsible for the student's lack of empathy and humanity. And, you know, I was teaching the content, but I wasn't teaching the humanity and empathy and connection making um, that is built naturally within, you know, human beings. Um, but you know, teenagers really need that support and that structure. So I went back to school in 2013 and, uh, I had a son at the time who was also struggling in school, um, as he was transitioning into elementary school. And I remember his teacher saying to me, well, your son just has no empathy in first grade. Um, so I started scratching my head and I said, this is just really off. So I went back to graduate school and really focused on, Um, climate and culture, curriculum innovation, and the change process. So I really brought in, um, through my project work at Ryder University, uh, problem-based learning and inquiry-based learning into my junior American studies class. And, uh, you know, it just transformed the learning environment. And I saw the potential of empowering students and just awakening their consciousness. And it was the most beautiful thing uh, in that process, I learned the importance of social emotional learning and just really coaching into that with students, self-regulation, self-awareness, social awareness, and responsible decision-making. So, and then I found Dr. Elias and Lauren, and then the doors opened up. So it's really kind of a groovy place to be at. Yeah, I totally agree with the point that um, students need the social support in schools. Thank you so much, Laura and Lauren, for sharing your personal stories. Um, so the next question, the Students Taking Action Together program, aka STAT, helps students build citizenship skills in social studies classrooms as well as support the development of relationship skills. Can you tell us a little bit more about the STAT program and the four-step plan framework? Absolutely. Um, so I'll, I'll actually start with the first four strategies, and I know Laura, um, you know, she uh, has a strong, um, you know, her, her wheelhouse is planned. So I'll, I'll leave that to her to discuss. 
Um, but STAT consists of five SEL instructional strategies that develop the skills for civil discourse and civic engagement. Um, and some of those skills include perspective taking, respectful, empathic debate, and social problem solving. Um, so the five skills are norms, yes, no, maybe, respectful debate, audience-focused communication, which we refer to as AFC, and plan, which, as Laura mentioned before, is a problem-solving framework. So the strategies aren't intended to be an add-on, and we really do emphasize that, but instead um, to be integrated into existing academic content. So, um, you know, already into the standards and the content that you're teaching your students. Um, while many of the lessons we have developed are based on social studies content, the strategies are transdisciplinary in nature. So, I mean, they can be used by school counselors, by language arts teachers, um, during advisory, uh, and even, you know, during restorative justice circles for school discipline. Uh, so I'll just give you a brief overview of the first four strategies, as I mentioned, and then I'll let Laura share more about plan. Um, so the first strategy, norms, that's really, um, you know, helpful for establishing guidelines for appropriate classroom behavior. Um, but in contrast to classroom rules, which many teachers develop at the beginning of the year um, and usually tell their students, um, norms are intended to be co-created with students. So that's really, you know, promoting that, you know, um, student input and, and really making them active participants in their learning and democratic citizens. Uh, so, you know, it's really promoting that student ownership and accountability. Uh, it's really crucial to create the norms um, and have that safe space where students feel comfortable taking risks and being vulnerable, because that really lays the groundwork for the other strategies. Uh, so next up is um, yes, no, maybe, and that encourages students to take a stance on a current or historic event or problem. Um, you know, two examples would be coronavirus racism or the cost of racism. Um, and so that really engages students in pure opinion sharing and dialogue uh, to, to develop the skills of respectful listening and perspective taking. Um, so then building on yes, so maybe we have our third strategy, respectful debate, um, and it's a little bit more complex. So it's different from your typical classroom debate because students are tasked with debating from both sides of an issue. Um, and they really are responsible for reflecting and summarizing the views of their opponents. So that really uh, requires them to engage in some active listening um, to be able to, you know, um, state out to the group what they heard to ensure that they understood their opponent's argument and that they were indeed, you know, actively listening. Uh, the debate is framed usually around a controversial statement or question, and an example would be, you know, is it possible for sports to be inclusive of the LGBTQIA plus community? Um, so that's the third strategy. And then the fourth one is um, audience-focused communication, AFC, which involves um, students really considering the background knowledge and perspectives and needs of their audience to really effectively tailor a presentation. So... Unfortunately, what we found, Laura and I, in our research is that speaking skills are often overlooked. Um, we expect students to be able to, um, you know, speak, publicly speak in front of others, but we don't explicitly teach them the skills. Uh, so that's why we feel it's really necessary, you know, to um, teach them those skills, because if we're tasking them um, with being changes, uh, clearly they're going to have to be presenting their, you know, solutions and having dialogue with others. So having those speaking skills is really crucial. 
Um, and AFC could be used, you know, when presenting findings of a science experiment for a book report or just an ex as an extension of plan, um, which Laura is going to discuss. Thank you, Lauren. And I just, I love plan because again, it goes back to that problem, that collaborative social problem solving process that we're naturally wired for. So um, as Lauren was saying, um, the, the strategies, the four strategies that she spoke of, norms, yes, no, maybe, respectful debate, audience focused communication, all the skills, social, emotional, academic, spiral up to support student competencies, to engage plan, which is a naturally designed problem solving framework that builds upon all those strategies. Um, so they're meant to be taught in sequence and in order, starting from norms, yes, no, maybe, respectful debate, AFC, then plan. And plan stands for um, uh, problem, identifying a problem, and usually it's a current event or a historic problem, or it could be a problem in, in beyond social studies, in science, in uh, the visual performing arts. Um, and after the students come to a consensus around the problem, uh, because we don't always agree in a democracy about what the problem is, right? Um, this, the, the students work either as a whole class or they can work in small groups to list options for addressing that problem. And this is where they do a lot of research and critical thinking. And they have to really look at the problem from multiple angles and looking at all the stakeholders. And then they weigh the options around those and they pick the most viable option that would then be the basis for developing an action plan that could solve the historic problem, the current event. Um, and again, this can be beyond social studies. It could relate to other disciplines as well. Then they develop a four or five step um, process of an action plan. And we have scaffolds included within um, the lesson plan to support the students in that because um, that's not always an easy thing to do. And then the students get to evaluate that action plan against the actual historic solution or the current events, uh, current actions or uh, issues that are, are, are really impacting um, that current event in terms of the direction it's moving in uh, the community um, or in, the, in government, uh, in politics. And then at the end, this is really where like the fireworks of that strategy reside. And, you know, John Dewey would always say that there's no learning without reflection. The students get to reflect on what were the successes of our action plan? Um, what would we have done differently? What did we do well in light of um, the historic solution or the current event solution? Um, and if there isn't a solution, you know, one of the extensions could be looking at a, a possible solution or proposing a solution. And that's when you can really weave in uh, a presentation using audience-focused communication. So, you know, the plan strategy is, is a strategy that could be used to form the basis of a unit. Um, it could be a longer lesson that straddles about two weeks, but it really dovetails nicely with problem-based learning. And, um, you know, if your district is using that as a model, a uh, plan could be woven into whatever particular model that they're using, but it really just empowers students to lead their learning. Uh, and it fits that model of really um, 
living the mission of teaching our students to become social change agents. Those are both wonderful responses. Thank you so much. Something I uh, resonated with was what Laura mentioned, because I can definitely connect this with uh, psychology in general, is is basically like a a first big step is uh, evaluating your own actions yourself, the work that you're doing. And I can relate that to psychology or like one's independent mental mental health uh, is being aware of their feelings. Where is it stemming from? Let's evaluate this. What are, what are the things that we could do to change this? Um, so awareness and evaluation is really important. And uh, also something that Lauren uh, mentioned about students and children uh, not being familiar with public speaking and the world just expects them to be good at it, but it is something that needs to be, um, they need to develop it on their own. Yes, they'll have their unique styles with it, but a basic concept of uh, helping them and uh, steering the, them towards the right way is something uh, that should should happen in the future in, in schools and other educational areas and platforms. Yeah, Melissa, may I add, like you just hit the nail on the head, like, and Lauren, Lauren always reminds me, like, like I, you forget like how important explicit skills-based teaching is in schools. And really, if we want to reach that aim of uh, mission-based schooling to support democratic citizenship, you know, that explicit skills-based uh, teaching and, and using the staff strategies would really fit nicely with that school community if that's their mission. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so just very similar uh, question that I'm going to uh, stir us into, but uh, it would be regarding the, again, the four core teaching strategies and tools that increase students' perspective taking, empathy, problem solving, communication, and civic engagement, um, namely respectful debating that you mentioned. It was, I think, number uh, number three on the, the strategies that you were mentioning, Laura, um, which I came across on the lab website. Would you be able to talk more about such teaching strategies? And I know you already went over it, but if you would get more specific about respectful debating and how they can build key SEL skills in students. Yeah, I think, you know, respectful debate is a really fun strategy because I think, you know, a lot of teachers who have used debate before without sort of like a a pedagogy that's research-based, debates can really go off the rails and they can be scary for teachers, but they can also be really exciting and thrilling. Um, With respectful debate, it really starts with, as you spoke of previously, um, self-awareness and self-management. Because it really, you know, forces a student to stand in their own sense of presence and listen to the other points of view that they they disagree with, that they may, you know, have very uh, dissenting viewpoints um, on uh, as they listen and to their peers express ideas that they don't agree with. But um, that idea of controlling your emotions being aware all right, uh, of where you stand in your emotional state, um, and then being socially aware, noticing how your peers are responding in that moment. Um, and then, you know, as students flip sides, so what's really neat about the respectful debate is that the students will take the pro-con, the pro-side, and then they'll flip to take the con-side. And so they have to stand on both sides of the argument, which is a beautiful thing, because how often do we ask students to do that? Again, it really enforces that concept of self-management, self-awareness, and social awareness. Um, but it also then really builds upon the relationship building skills in that process. When you're in that place of vulnerability of sharing and hearing and listening and not responding, it's very tender. 
It's very vulnerable. So you, you psychologically bond in that environment. Um, it takes plenty of practice for a teacher to facilitate it to, to the level that the students are bonding through a safe, vulnerable space. But when you reflect at the end of respectful debate, the students really begin to understand the value of that strategy of hearing the divergent points of view and the ideas that they may not have agree, agreed with, but they, they may see the merits of what the other person is saying, but they still can disagree with it and do it in a civil way, which I think really brings the entire classroom community to a place of just stronger human connection. And it goes back to what you were just saying, Malika, about mental health. Like, when you feel those strong, safe bonds with your peers and you stand in a place of vulnerability and you don't have divided consciousness, you are reaching a state of, of a healthy learning environment, an equitable learning environment, an inclusive learning environment. And it's, it's really a beautiful thing. And just to add on to what Laura had said, um, you know, with respectful debate, the goal is really different. So the goal is no longer in a traditional debate. Uh, the goal generally is who's going to win, right? And by who has the stronger argument? Well, with a respectful debate, when you are, you know, tasking your students with, um, you know, arguing from both sides, really you're removing that end goal. And really the ultimate goal is just being able to view an issue from all sides, not just from one side. and that really, you know, talking more from a psychological standpoint, um, when we go into a traditional debate, we tend to have a bias and we tend to have, you know, um, some preconceived notions. So we generally, when we look at, you know, any data related to that, um, you know, issue or that topic, we engage in what's called bias assimilation. So we'll really only see things through the lens of what's going to support our argument. Well, once again, you know, when we um, have a respectful debate and we have to argue from both sides, we're really encouraging students to open up their lenses to see, you know, that background source or that that data or information um, from not just that very narrow lens or, or not assuming that bias assimilation. So, absolutely, the, this strategy uh, seems to genuinely be uh, teaching young children how to actually like in real open their minds, um, hear other points of view, see other perspectives and kind of eliminate that bias as much as the, as, as much as one can. Um, so that's really important. And that's great that, that these are being implemented in schools today. Uh, just curious though, what are some of your favorite or most used teaching strategies personally? And where do you believe it stems from? Well, when talking about the stat strategies, I would definitely, you know, say yes, no, maybe. Um, and that's because it's really um, the like, it's not very complicated. So it's an entry level strategy. Um, but, you know, it really does provoke such meaningful discussion. So um, while it involves very little preparation, it's a great way to just get started with stat um, to really roll up your sleeves and, and, you know, really get into this work. Uh, so, you know, some of my most memorable stat lessons, you know, involve the yes, no, maybe strategy and, and really just got my students to buy into this work. Um, I can actually recall doing a yes, no, maybe after the insurrection and on the Capitol building. Um, and also right after COVID hit, um, we did a lesson on uh, anti-Chinese sentiment. Um, and so really just, you know, calling out that elephant in the room and, you know, giving students a space 
where it was really comfortable to have those hard discussions. Um, so it provided them a means with discussing pressing issues just in a way that was really uh, safe and inclusive and meaningful. Yeah, and for me, my my go-to strategy was always like a Socratic circle where students kind of arrive upon, um, you know, a mutual understanding or, you know, they really express their um, opinions rooted in, you know, text-based evidence. But, you know, just before um, the pandemic, one of my favorite stat strategies to implement in the classroom was respectful debate. I didn't have much opportunity to really engage a lot of practice with respectful debate with my students, but they loved it. They loved the idea of swapping sides. And they just thought that was like, wow, why didn't we do this before? Like, this is a great way to think about debate. And they really liked the, the, the opportunity to hear the other points of view. Um, and then at the end, really come around and reflect upon what they've heard. So it really promotes active listening too. I know Lauren talked a lot about like that exp explicit, um, public speaking skill and teaching speaking skills. Um, I'm passionate about listening skills because I think that's where like, you know, we fall down a lot in our societies. We don't really teach our students how to listen and how to really take in and be patient with input and information over time. So I would say that's one of my go-to strategies is respectful debate, but I really love plan and I can't wait to get back into the classroom, even though I'm a school administrator. Um, and implement plan. I guess I kind of do this in my work with my PLCs and with my um, my teachers on a, on a micro level basis. But you know, um, there's nothing better than coming together as a school community or in, in small pockets and problem solving and coming up with potential solutions and the merits, and then figuring out an action plan and then reflecting on it with with adults. It just really creates a connected and healthy community. So I. I I love plan. I think that there's a lot of beauty in it. Yeah, thank you both Laura and Lauren for sharing these strategies. Um, it's very important for students to learn how to both speak out what they're thinking as well as listen to others' opinions. Um, so what setbacks, if any, do you encounter or anticipate encountering while striving to integrate social emotional learning principles into classrooms? And what are the steps you'd really ideally wish to take to overcome these challenges? Thank you for that, Rebecca. I think that's such an important question. Um, I think right now in the moment we're standing in 18, you know, almost 19 months into a pandemic is time and resources, right? And time is a resource. So how do school communities find the time to really address another barrier for this strategy, which is, um, or the stat strategies is a lack of PD support for teachers to create safe learning spaces and thoughtful lesson design um, that really promote, you know, understanding and you know, uh, explicit skills-based uh, learning along with social emotional learning competencies. Um, so I think that is a big hurdle, but I think. In the last year and a half, also the fears of politics in communities and teachers specifically fearful of bringing up politics in the classroom. Lauren and I just wrote an article for um, Berkeley uh, College on how teachers can navigate um, that space using the stat strategies um, 
in their classrooms and build that that competency as a uh, as a teacher uh, to advance that practice, not just for themselves, but really in essence for their students who come in really eager after the day of a tragedy, um, wanting to talk about what's happening in their world. So this can be really scary and treacherous for teachers. And I think schools have to really commit a lot of time and PD support uh, for these equitable learning experiences to to integrate strategies like STAT into the school culture. Thank you so much for sharing that, Laura. I think uh, I just want to say it's it's almost unfortunate how sometimes people forget that teachers and educators as well need those those brave spaces and strategies to talk about their own uh, circumstances, social emotional learning, and what's going on politically, socially, whatever in in their mind, in their work, in their lives. Um, so that was really important. I really appreciate you bringing that up. Um, Thank you. And then. I would like to say, do you, oh, this is a, this is a fun one, actually. Do you have a sample activity for us that you would like to share to maybe give listeners an idea of what a stat teaching, uh, teaching strategy could look like and the rewards that reap from it? Or are there any important findings from your work that might demonstrate the same? So um, I, I'd love to take that one, Laura, if you don't mind. I have a really good uh, lesson to share. So um, go for it, Lauren. <laughs> So uh, as I mentioned before, you know, yes, no, maybe can be a great um, entry level strategy and can really, um, you know, just get teachers comfortable with uh, the stat strategies and kind of the thinking behind it. Um, Yet at the same time, you know, Malika, as you mentioned, like the rewards that you reap from it or the benefits that our students get are, you know, tremendous. So um, you get a lot of bang for your buck. (laughs) So, um, you know, with the lesson that I wanted to talk about is um, basically, uh, you know, COVID-19 outbreak and anti-Chinese sentiment. So I mentioned that I actually did this with my fifth graders. Um, right around the time that COVID hit, um, before we were actually, you know, quarantined and everything, um, they were, you know, having a lot of angst, and um, I, I, you know, sense a lot of dissonance um, related to, especially how, uh, you know, students who were Asian felt they were being perceived. Um, so, you know, the question that really frames this lesson uh, is how has the coronavirus pandemic fueled anti-Asian discrimination? Um, And really what you would have your students do with yes, no, maybe is uh, similar to if you've ever done a value line activity, um, you know, you would establish uh, the the places in the room or digitally if you're, um, you know, facilitating this lesson digitally, but uh, one is yes, one is no at opposite ends of the room. And then in the middle, you have maybe. Um, And you would present your students several uh, neutral statements, we like to call them, about this specific um, topic. So, you know, an example of a neutral statement in this regard would be, you know, the source of people's coronavirus racism is the harmful speech of politicians. Um, Or you could present to them another neutral statement might be that uh, workers have the right to protect their health and refuse to provide services to Asian Americans. So students would first, at the beginning of the lesson, reflect on these um, statements. You would present all of them in writing. Um, They would reflect on their own to really just, you know, get a sense of what is my, you know, view on this particular issue. Um, Then you would have your students get up and you would 
present each statement. And so say, for example, I present, you know, the statement, the source of people's coronavirus racism is the harmful speech of politicians. Uh, Students would then, you know, think about what they had written when they reflected that self-awareness and and they would then take a stance, either yes, no, or maybe. Um, meeting in that particular area of the room, they would then get into small groups. We usually recommend triads. And in those small group discussions, uh, where, as Laura mentioned, they're engaging in active listening to their peers, um, they would you know, engage in pure opinion sharing. So they would have to say at least one reason to justify why they're standing where they're standing. So um, if I agree, yes, the source of people's coronavirus racism is the harmful speech of politicians, then why am I standing here? Um, So they share in their triads, um, their, you know, reasoning or their rationale. And then, um, you know, all of the students are accountable for actively listening because a spokesperson from each group then would share out with the rest of the class and kind of summarize the views of the group or the reasons the group provided. Um, So, you know, opening up that peer opinion sharing, you know, on a, a little bit more of a global level. And so then what we do, it's really interesting is, you know, the students think they know a lot about that topic, but you provide them with a background source. So background sources can be podcasts, it can be an article, it could be a speech, um, photographs, so you can get really creative with that. But you would provide them with a background source and students would um, examine that, you know, and they would think about, um, you know, their thoughts about that. They might um, you know, highlight it or annotate it. Um, you'd give them specific instructions. Uh, for this particular lesson, um, I have an article that I had my students read uh, from USA Today, um, and it was entitled, What's It Like to be Asian During the Coronavirus Pandemic? So I had my students, you know, highlight, um, you know, related to each of the four statements, the four neutral statements I had presented um, by assigning each, you know, statement a color. Um, and then they really just considered, okay, what is the argument the author is trying to make um, and what evidence does he or she have to support the argument? So that really engages those ELA skills as well. Um, and then you do a second round of yes, no, maybe. And so now that the students have really analyzed the background source, um, you would read the statements again and they would move to each spot in the room. You would repeat the same, you know, uh, the same uh, steps as you did during the first round. And, you know, the really beautiful part of the strategy is the last step where students, um, you know, engage in reflection and assessment. So um, in their notebooks, once again, usually in writing, um, you know, you have them think about, you know, whether the responses to any of the prompts changed um, from the first round to the second and, you know, why those changes, if they had changes, took place. Um, And really, what did they learn from the activity? And what's the value of pure opinion sharing? So, you know, you would have them first um, reflect in writing and then really debrief um, their thoughts as a whole class. So uh, it really sheds light on the fact that, you know, um, something that is often frowned upon in our society is, you know, flip-flopping your view on an issue. Um, a lot of times that's being perceived as, you know, kind of flaky. Um, it's not neg- It's not usually a positive thing, um, but we really encourage students with this strategy to, you know, be open to and have flexibility when it comes to their views or stance on an issue. Um, and acknowledge that they can change, whether that's from listening to somebody else's argument and view and what that kind of opens up in their mind or reading, you know, of course, credible information about, um, you know, that topic. So 
Uh, that would be an example of an activity. You know, there are many, many other ways that you could take this particular topic and kind of run with it. But, you know, that would just be one that I did actually implement with my um, fifth grade students. And it was, you know, quite successful. So I think one thing that uh, Lauren uh, mentioned, I'd just like to highlight uh, this lessons that she's speaking of will all be featured in our upcoming book in um, that's going to be published in April. And we do have sample lesson plans available in the book. And it shows you in the beginning of the lesson plan after that sort of like driving question, right? That sticky question that raises student interest. It shows you the academic content standards that the lesson hits, but it also then shows you the explicit social emotional learning casal competency that the lesson then, you know, um, integrates. But um, we'll also have a companion website for the book that will feature more lessons that Lauren and I um, have developed um, for to support teachers' competency building with this strategies. And, um, you know, we'd love to do another podcast with you all about that. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Please. I, I also wanted to say what, what you, Laura, and Lauren were mentioning about this. It's, it almost reminded me of like a touch points, like touch point one, where this is like without the article and everything. And then you're like, again, holding accountability and everything after learning something new and then touching base again. Uh, this is something we do when we conduct research in general, or, or even something to like evaluate again, like with uh, Laura, what we were talking about evaluation and, and self-awareness and things like that. And even when we're trying to, you know, unlearn things maybe about implicit biases and then relearn something something better for ourselves, uh, it, we do similar things. So it's very interesting how you mentioned that in teaching strategies. Thank you for that. Yeah, it's almost like poetry, right? Like it, it all connects across the disciplines as Lauren was mentioning. Yeah, for sure. All right, that was amazing. Thank you, Lauren, for sharing that eye-opening activity. Um, we want to provide the opportunity for you to make any closing remarks. Is there anything else you would like to share with us or talk about regarding SEL and education? Perhaps leave the audience with some insight or ways they can reach you for more information. Well, first of all, I just want to really thank you so much for having Laura and I this evening. Um, you know, the point that I really want to leave everyone with is just the importance and, and value of this work. Um, you know, Laura and I are very committed and passionate about it. But, um, you know, just, you know, the global problems that we're facing right now, um, you know, and the fact that we're looking to our students and young people to solve um, these problems, they're, they're very complex and multi-layered. And so uh, they're going to require a lot of emotional intelligence and interpersonal skills and collaborative problem solving and empathy in order to effectively solve. And, you know, those skills are really all embedded in, you know, the STAT um, framework and, and instructional strategies. So uh, these skills, as we've mentioned multiple times, need to be explicitly taught and reinforced with our students. Um, and, you know, STAT's really the vehicle in, in order to do that. So, um, you know, we're really just passionate about this work. Thanks, Lauren. Um... For me, Maya Angelou, Ellie Wiesel, and Simon Sinek are like my gurus. And, um, you know, they really shape the way that I look at education. And I truly believe that we are all better together and we can combat social injustice and large-scale global problems. 
if we learn to get along and join with one another despite our differences. And I think the stat strategies really try to aspire to achieve that. You know, I, I, I'm at a point in my life where I, I see in my own children's experience and, and what they're can, thinking about as teenagers that life on this planet is too delicate and it's too short to spin our wheels on issues that impact the human race. So, you know, my belief is that our moral purpose is to serve the social justice needs of today so our children and grandchildren don't have to address them. And I think if you're really passionate about this work or if you're listening to this podcast and this is really resonating with you, please connect with the Rutgers Social Emotional Character Development Lab. Um, and you can look at the various projects like Mosaic and STAT. Um, and if you click on STAT, the STAT project, you'll learn more about the strategies and see some resources that are available. And then this coming April, consider purchasing our book and connecting with us on our companion website, which will also be linked to the SACD Lab website at Rutgers University. Amazing. Well, thank you for that. Um, with this, we just want to, again, thank you both so much for joining us here today and providing our audience with this wealth of wisdom and knowledge. Um, that's pretty much all we have for you today. We hope you thoroughly enjoyed tuning into our podcast as much as we enjoyed hosting it. You can follow us on social media by looking up our website, secdlab.org, at secdlab on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Pinterest, Twitter, TikTok, and now Spotify. Well wishes from the digital communications and social media team. Have a great day, everyone.